Well, the characteristics of the Dhamma Sampitiko, which means directly seen, directly experienced. Uh, so the uh, path to liberation, the path out of Sangsara is through direct experience. And this means we have we recognize there are two modes of experience, direct which is felt. And then there's conceived of, which is imagined. Yeah. The conceived of, we conceive of what could be, what should be, what might be, what was, what wasn't. We conceive of the past, we conceive of the future, we even conceive of the present. We conceive of ourselves, we conceive of other people, we conceive of how the people could be or should be or what they are or what they aren't. We can see how we should be, or could be, or what we are and what we aren't. This world of conceiving rolls on and it produces great clouds and gas and smoke. <laughs> and it's very blinding. Uh, but this is where, in this world of conceiving, we can't find a way through because we can always conceive of something else and the mind just keeps rolling. And this is the primary agent of samsara. So people sometimes imagine samsara is just the material world or sights or sounds. Not quite. It's, it's our fascination and our conceiving of them. We conceive of them as pleasant, delightful, horrible. But they're just what they are. So in this way we get into this very stuck relationship with sights and sounds and touches and thoughts and impressions. And the main step is to, uh, to directly experience. We may directly experience things as being pleasant or unpleasant. And there's a kind of mind resonates with that. And then we can imagine things should not be unpleasant. But this cannot be. <laughs> so, things are not pleasant. One doesn't like them. Nobody likes the unpleasant. But the unpleasant happens. Disagreeable feeling is what happens. Directly experiencing it, we don't think it shouldn't happen. We don't think it's not fair. We don't conceive of how it could be or should be. But we, in direct experience, you can allow unpleasant feeling to arise, pass. Patience is required. Patience is required. Endurance is required. Uh, attention is required. So we train in this way. Pleasant feeling is pleasant. If it was pleasant, we like it. We can't have more of it. So we train ourselves in restraint, in non-fascination with pleasant feeling. And so we don't get lured into the idea that we can have more of it, or have it all the time make it last be permanent. We say pleasant feeling is pleasant. We like it. Liking things is like this. It feels like this. And unpleasant, unpleasant feeling passes. It's like that. And you maintain this sense of directly sensing what arises in the present and even the, the resonances, the reactions that occur, wherever you can catch it, wherever you can get your, your chitta, your mindfulness to, to hold it. Yeah. It's like this. 
and just gently release the hold or the resistance or the struggle or the craving and it slips away this is possible now we train ourselves in the mode of the forest as we all recognize but probably don't remember often enough the Buddha and the great uh, disciples were people of the land, people of the forest mm-hmm. it's always been the case that the forest has been the primary place of learning uh, because it's uh, beyond human construction it's not constructed according to human preferences human wishes human plans and projects so it it's, it's, it's just nature so in this way we have to meet experience very directly and resort or return to a much more fundamental quality of intelligence than the intelligence that constructs and plans things intelligence that pl- plans and constructs things takes us into constructing samsara constructing delight, constructing fear, constructing the future constructing what should be, could be and so on That's it, that kind of intelligence does that there's another kind of intelligence that manages what arises and learns how to relate to it, what arises to release holding on grasping that's what, we, that's what the forest teaches us so imagine if you're living in a forest and you should, when you meditate you should bring up this idea and it's, the forest uh, is uh, somewhat gloomy, dark at times unpredictable trees, creepers, insects wild animals, you can't quite see what you're doing all the time, your body is quite vulnerable and what do you do? do? run around, daydream, plan the future, think about the evening meal (laughs) play football, no (laughs) you wake up, hey what's going on? you're alert, if you're not alert you could lose your life so you're alert, you're attentive and where is your attention? is it in your seeing? is it in hearing? is it in smelling? tasting, touching? it's in all of these and it's not in any of them it's like just awareness opens to any of the sense doors but doesn't go out into them just imagine that, you're in a forest and if you just get fascinated with what you see, you might not hear a tiger coming up behind you so you don't get lost in what you see if you're listening to the song of the birds, you might not see the snake under your feet that you're about to step, step on so you don't get caught up in your seeing yeah? if you smell a fragrant odour, you don't get caught up in that in case you don't notice the elephant behind the bamboo or the pit you're about to walk into but if you so you're not oblivious to the senses hmm? you're not oblivious to them but you don't, get, you go, don't go into them you're attentive and you've got this all round attention hmm? and primarily what it's doing it's sensing there's a body here and there's a world around me and it's, moder- it's sensing what's the relationship is the ground beneath me firm, so it's aware of that is the space around me open, it's aware of that it's also aware, am I, is it, am I alert? Yeah. or am I daydreaming? am I feeling panic? my mind is my mind's steady and open clear, bright, or is it drifting confused, agitated 
So it's really you have an intelligence that's monitoring and reading the relationship between your embodied presence yeah, and the world around you. Yeah? And it's checking all the time what's the relationship here, what's happening now. It's also checking the moods we have that are arising. This, this quality, intelligence, we call awareness. And that's the foundation for um, the understanding of meditation and release. It's this quality of awareness that monitors everything but doesn't get lost in anything in particular. It's most most keenly interested in the relationship between my emotions, my mind states, my body, and the world around me. So it's a, what the world around me is doing generates can generate particular emotions or moods. I feel frightened. I feel eager. I feel impatient. I feel agitated. I feel comfortable. Yeah. So there's that that resonance, that activation, call it sankara, stirred, activated. And we're aware of that. We're recognizing this sankara is something that I could and should and must gain mindfulness and wisdom over. Because if I'm not really attentive to this, I could make a big mistake here. And this is the only piece of the entire experience that I can have some direct say over. I can't say, let there be no elephants. I can't say, let there be no tigers. I can't say, let there be light, television, (laughs) cooked food. No, I can say, let there be no fear. Let there be no anger, let there be no panic, let there be no random thinking. I can, I have some say over that. And that's the piece that's crucial. Because without, if I don't look after that, I could lose my life. This we call meditation. aware of the sankara, the citta sankara means the the impulse is the mental energies that are arising and they tend to produce the conceived of world. The citta sankara, the emotions, the moods, the impulses that are arising generate the world of should be, could be, won't be, will be, he, she, it, they, future, past. And we tumble into that world Sangsara. Sangsara rolls on. Sometimes attractive, but always pulls, pulls you in. It always has this sense of momentum to it. You you tumble in it, you roll in it, you slide in it, you run in it. You don't find peace in it. Sometimes the running is quite fun. That's why we do it. But then it, after a while it's no longer fun and you can't stop. We're kind of addicted to samsara. Yeah. Like a habit that starts off as being pleasant, enjoyable, interesting, and eventually becomes a habit and it's, you're hooked on it. We're addicted to that. That addiction has to be broken. It has to be turned off. And this is through direct awareness of the sankara, of the momentum of the mind, of the creations of the mind, and the mind's ability to create endless streams of phenomena that are delightful, seductive, terrifying, miserable, and so on. Pull back. Your life depends on it if you're in the forest. So we should always live in the forest. 
you happen to be having some wolves around you, it doesn't look like a forest. But actually you're always in the forest. It's called the jungle of the mind. <laughs> this is where the wildest creatures live. The most dangerous creatures live in the jungle of the mind. Be on guard, be vigilant. So, and this is um, possible because there is a natural relationship between the body and the citta. Citta, the word is roughly translated as mind, you could call it heart. Um, you can call it awareness, you can call it a number of things, but it's that. Uh, uh, it's the quality that, exp- that experiences uh, uh, directly. What is it experienced directly? Experiences feeling. It experiences being touched, being shaken, being stirred, being uplifted, being pressed down. Mm. It feels, it trembles, it resonates. Mm. And that and there's a body and quite naturally as we are sentient beings born with physical bodies that's what we're born with we had a body with no jitter in it it wouldn't last very long uh, bodies always jitter, jitter and bodies always go together and the jitter's job is to look after the body it's its natural, it's natural home is there. Yeah. This is nature. So we can refer to the body rather than the creations of the mind. I keep bringing it back to this. This is your basic mindfulness of body. And through this, another uh, aspect of citta becomes apparent, which is citta doesn't just feel and tremble and sense. And it's not just related to the body. It is, it is related to the body, but it's not only related to the body. It's also related to itself. What does this mean? It means it knows. And it's not just process of being affected, it knows it's affected. It's aware of being affected. So it has this knowing quality right in the centre of it. It knows it's being affected, therefore it can be wise. It can say, this is not so good, but it will pass. That's wisdom. This is like this, it's time to just be patient. And it has its wisdom potential. And this wisdom potential sits right in the heart of the citta. It's that which enables us to have moral conscience. We're able to moderate and adjust. Say, you know, we feel passion. Or we say, no, don't, don't do that. We feel anger, no, don't do that. Something that is able to do that. This is the, the, set, the balance of the citta. It can feel things, be stirred by things, but it can also know that and find that balance, which first of all is realized through morality which is something that human beings have, naturally. It gets obscured, it gets lost, it gets obstructed because we get flooded in these sangsaric habits whereby the, the natural centre of the jitta is lost. We're lost in the smoke, in the dazzle, in the glare. The jitta loses its wisdom because we, we don't return to the citta. We don't turn to the centre of the citta. Instead, we turn out to the creations of the citta. 
and then morality just becomes a matter of punishment, law and order, which isn't really very beautiful at all. And one quality that indicates this power we have, the citta has, to remain independent from circumstances, to some degree, is morality. We can also recognize we can all, a natural quality human beings, is there a sense of the ability to experience sympathy, fellow feeling, compassion, goodwill. Everyone can experience that towards something. Mm-hmm. So it naturally is able to step beyond the concerns of this body. It's not just purely embedded in the welfare of this body, it can also sense an armor and think, may she be well. Uh, ah, I feel, I feel saddened by her pain. I feel glad at his success. So it can step beyond self. This is this, again, very, very fundamental property. We can be generous, we can be loving, we can be compassionate. And once one touches into the center of the jitta, this is quite natural. You don't have to make an effort, but the effort that you make is to return to the center of the jitta. Then it's quite it's in accordance with nature that we're loving, friendly, compassionate, and wise. This is through, you know, and the, the the pathway to this is through handling direct experience. Even more powerful is the chitta's ability to. Uh, for liberation. That is, the citta can cease its creation. It's going silent, still, become peaceful. When it's very balanced and steady in itself, it's no longer oppressed, no longer fascinated, no longer interested in running out. We call this the citta released. Something that most people, many people have, don't have much experience of. But this occurs through the very uh, persistent moderation, handling of the sankhara, the creations, the activations, the programs, the outflowing energies of the mind which create the created construct the constructed conceive the conceivable and get lost in it and what do they construct they construct perceptions impressions interpretations Uh, they construct that And these are so we can they construct uh, mental proliferations they construct past and future self and other and these also though they're just constructions conceiving they could be directly felt even though they are in some ways phantoms like the future what's that? they can be directly felt because of the nature of perception now the whole citta develops an an organ called manas manas is the conceiving mind it's associated with conceiving and handling conceiving some instructions so this is a quite a brilliant system and, and a necessary one because if you're walking around in the forest then you can only really handle what directly touches your body 
you wouldn't live very long because by the time it touches your body, it's over. <laughs> so instead you have something that looks like that could be an elephant. Mm. I don't, I can't feel it, but I can see something that reminds me of a, of a wild elephant or a tiger. Mm. Check it out. That interpretation is called perceiving. You see something and your manas, organ, oh, that reminds me of elephant, that reminds me of tiger. Not touching me, but it's a visual object, and the manas translates that into a perception, and it taps the chitta. Tap, tap, tiger, fear, run, careful. <laughs> so it translates a visual object into a direct feeling. So you can directly feel something that's only created by your mind. Because it might not be a tiger, it might just be sunlight playing through the leaves. But you don't want to, you don't take a chance. You go, hmm. So manas knocks on the chitta. Fear, be alert, right? Yeah. And it's, so it's doing this, which is which makes us. Uh, uh, gives us many advantages over creatures that have much more impressive bodies than we do. Our bodies are really very fragile. But uh, we're the ones who survived when the elephants and the rhinos died out. <laughs> With these fragile pink bodies. You know, <laughs> you know so delicate. Can't, even run, can't run as fast as a jungle chicken. <laughs> Teeth and cl- no claws, pathetic. And yet, you know, here we are, conquered everything else because of our ability to have this manas jitta thing going. You know, can conceive and imagine, interpret, and you know, which other creatures are not so good at. And we can we can imagine things. So this is both a, a great gift, but also it means we're always being tapped, touched. As manas is always knocking on the door. And even then when the trees have disappeared, manas is going, oh, that looks like a good, good food over there, knock, knock, knock. That's a nice looking car, knock, knock, knock. What about that dress, knock, knock. <laughs> Who do you think will win the race? Put it, gamble on that. No, no, no. <laughs> Look what I read in the magazine. Knock, knock, knock. Beautiful picture. Knock, knock, knock. And every one of those knocks just gets a feeling. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. Or it's there, you know, or of course pain. Don't like the look of that. Knock, knock, knock. Fear. And so we can, so this thing runs out, and we can, the manas brings these perceptions based upon what's seen. And you can see in the human world many, so much presentation, advertisements show to make us greedy and excited. Newspapers, things to make us frightened and annoyed. Every one of those things, knock, knock, knock. Taps on the door of the chitta, the chitta gets, oh, stirred up. <laughs> and even more, if it isn't sight, sound that's, that's, that, uh, that's affecting us, it's our thoughts. Because manas is its own, also is its own data. What about what's going to happen next summertime? Knock, knock, knock. What about, will you, what, will, you lo- will you lose your job? Knock, knock, knock. Uh, when are you going to get married? Knock, knock, knock. What about your, what about your old mother? Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> your money? Knock, knock, knock. Your health? Knock, knock, knock. You know, so you can get all these ideas, constantly tapping the door with 
fear, anxiety, pressure, tension, stress. Um, yeah. So then, then, then it tries to knock the door with some, something else we could imagine to get away from it all. Knock, 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 meditation. Make you happy. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> then you sit in meditation. It's not working. I'm not happy. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> I should be. I should feel good. No, you just shouldn't feel anything. You feel what you're feeling. <laughs> it's like this. Stop knocking the door. <laughs> She's like that. Not that she should be like this and shouldn't be like that. And she's like that. Stop knocking the door with what you think she should be or shouldn't be. Or what you think you should be and shouldn't be. It's like this. You know? What are you going to do about it now? Hmm? You don't feel good. You don't feel well. You feel cold. You feel confused. You feel tired. It's like this. Yeah. And so what are you going to do about it? Well, we come into this body. Can you breathe? Can you sit? Can you hold your body up? Can you develop you know, that? Can you draw your senses? Draw your attention back from the sense, senses into knowing, awareness, into your resources of patience and uh, wisdom. This will pass, things will change. What is needed here? What is needed here? Patience, steady, persistent, soft, kind, persistent, patient, kindly, relaxing, feeling, settle down. You know, then you're starting to tap the door with pleasant perceptions. Nobody's going to harm you. Nobody's going to steal anything. Nobody's going to blame you. Nobody's going to put you under pressure. You know, it's your time. It's your opportunity. You're welcome. Touch that. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up. And we start to take responsibility rather than constantly be leaning on or attached to or thrown around by circumstances. Sometimes circumstances are agreeable. So, Now the possibility of citta is to withdraw from sense contact. It can withdraw back into itself. It can extend out into the sensory world or it can draw back. And the middle place is where we're acknowledging sensory contact but we're not going out into it. We're just naming it. And then we seek within that a particular kind of contact that is calming. Yeah. And always kind of there's the uprightness of the body. Yeah. Taking, making a deliberate skill and cultivation of how to sit or walk or stand or even recline in a way that is support is conducive. How is this done? Essentially, uh, one of the fundamental um, aspects of the human body, as all bodies, you have a, a, a central, like a spinal cord. Spinal cord, when you sit, you place that awareness of your spinal cord, your bone, your backbone, right in the middle of your awareness. Of that. And everything else is extending out of that. Now you may think this is inaccurate because when you look at a body, the spinal is in the back of it. 
But we're not looking at the body, we're feeling it. And the felt body is very different from the visual body. You know, when you look at a visual body, that's not what you're feeling, is it? That's what your eye is seeing, but what your body is feeling is not the colour of your eyes or your fingernails, it's experiencing a sense of solidity or the earth element, sense of warmth or coolness, fire element, sense of mobility, breathing in and out, something moving, and a sense of wholeness, the water, the water element, which means everything is connected to everything else. This last element is rather tricky to, to discern because most people, most of the time, are not living in the whole body. They live in aspects of it, mostly in the head. Head and maybe the hands. Back disappears, legs disappear a lot of the time. They're just gone. <laughs> And so it is uh, because what happens is that the energy rushes up to a certain area of the body, stays there, primarily where the sense organs are, around the face, the head, stays up there, and it, so it's ready to launch out into the sensory world. We're on the launching pad for samsara. It's right up, up there in our head. And that's where most people live. So the energy is up here. So the rest of the body is just something down there that's carrying me around and I live up here. So we don't really experience the whole body, we experience one section of it with a kind of a few appendages. <laughs> like this is a head with something that carries it around underneath it. Wow, this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, so <laughs> When you come into the direct body, the first thing is really to get a direct body, a complete body. And you should say, well, well, one thing, what runs through from the upper body down to the tail anyway is one particular quality called uprightness. It feels like it's all in the line. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. And if you stand up, then that, that uprightness extends down into your feet. If it doesn't, you fall over. Right? It's called balance. So when you stand, you know, feet, and then the rest of your body has to align itself to where the feet are. Otherwise you fall over. I mean, you don't have to think this out. You naturally, your body naturally does it. You stand up, then get onto your feet, two feet, and then the hips place themselves above that, and your shoulders above that, and your head above that. And so that, there's that line. And that line extends from the spine down, it's like a, a line of, of intelligence. Runs down into the feet, to the top of the head. So when you do standing meditation or walking meditation, is particularly very useful for sensing that inner line and to really make an effort to put to one side the visual body which we imagine to be the real one because that's the one that buys the clothes that gets the lipstick or does the hair and of course that's the one that is constantly being presented to you through the media as the really important one to have. Because that's why you will buy things. <laughs> and that's, Sankara runs very well on money. So, you know, they say, look, this is the most important thing, is the outward appearance of the body, and you can make it better by buying one of these. Oh, good. If it's not important, you wouldn't buy anything. But when you really recognize, well, the visual body is pretty changeable, uh, and it just doesn't look good all the time. 
you do do quite a bit of work on it to make it look good all the time. Uh, and it gets harder work as you as the as the year forty passes. <laughs> it gets to be hard work, very hard work. At the age of sixty, you're bluffing. <laughs> It's just like this, <laughs> but it's always like this, you know, and it changes. But this isn't. This is not going to make you happy. It's going to make you distracted. So you know, just just keep pulling aside the visual body, as if that's the real thing. The visual body doesn't feel anything. It doesn't walk. It's the actual intelligent body that walks around and senses balance and senses pain and pleasure and senses calm and senses tension and senses release from tension. That's the body you want because the visual body cannot release stress and tension. In fact, it only creates it. So we come into that direct intelligence in the body and this is the place where you can feel agitated and nervous and then you could relax. It knows how to do that. It knows how to bring energy up where you need to stand. It knows how to pull you up and how to get you walking. You try to think about how to walk, you couldn't do it. But the body knows how to do that without falling over. That's pretty amazing. When you consider how dangerous walking is, you've got to stand on one little piece of meat, which isn't very big. <laughs> you know, what is it? 20 centimetres, 15 centimetres, 20 centimetres or something, depending on everything. There's a big lump of meat on top of it. And you're if, you, if it falls over, you could get in some serious pain. And yet the body managed to do that, plod along, pretty well. Most of the time we don't fall over. Uh, because, and we don't have to think about it even. The body does it for us, because it's intelligent. Uh, and its intelligence is based upon sensing the entire body so that things are in balance. If you just only sensed your feet when you stood up, you'd fall over. The body has to both sense the foot and how the rest of the body is balancing above it. Otherwise it wouldn't work, would it? So the body is both aware of a local detail and the whole picture. It's the whole picture that's the most interesting and useful piece. Because the local detail you know, is something, again, we could get very fascinated by and lose balance in. So the sense of a balanced overall awareness, the entire body in harmony, because although it's not associated with the immediate pleasure of sense contact, which you could have in your fingers, yeah? you could touch something agreeable, you have a pleasant feeling there, but the whole body is associated with releasing tension, which you can't do with your fingers. It's not tactile. The whole body senses too much pressure here. When I relax my chest, when I... Oh. It measures the whole energetic nature of what's going in, on in, in our bodies and through that sensing the entirety it feels where the imbalance is, where we're not balanced, where there's too much pressure, too much tension, and it releases it. Yeah. And where some part isn't really properly awake yet, it brings energy in. Hmm? So if you stand up and your left leg isn't there, 
you fall over. So, you know. And so it knows how to, to shift energy around in order that the whole body is operating as a unit in harmony. This becomes very apparent when you stand and when you walk. It's actually absolutely necessary for that. We don't notice it because we don't do it. We don't do it with our thinking mind. You couldn't do it. So you don't even notice it's happening. The body does it for you. But this means that if we turn our attention to that, to that quality, then actually we're withdrawing from any local sense contact. We're withdrawing from visual contact. We're withdrawing from sights and sounds in order to maintain unity and balance in the body. It doesn't mean we don't see, but we're not drawn out into it. We're overall concerned with the overall balance of the body. Am I feeling tense, stressful, imbalanced? Am I up in my head? Do I have a back? And so this really is, is absolutely necessary for releasing tension, stress, lethargy, dullness. The most uh, persistent imbalances that we have to experience. And when the energy of the body feels balanced and whole, the mind easily sits in it because it's comfortable. This is the second uh, great benefit of body meditation, is when it gets balanced, it's a very pleasant, peaceful abiding. So the mind jitter easily sits down in it. This is comfortable. Why don't I sit here? Why go out into thoughts? Why go out into sights? It's comfortable in here. It's directly experienced in here. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't matter how old I am. Yeah. It doesn't matter what people say about me. It's, it's, it's here. It's mine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was uh, worthwhile. And, and then when you really get this, you think, this is the quality, the only quality, the only quality that could really be present for me. Yeah. Constantly no matter what circumstances do. Mm. Balanced energy. Mm. It means that sometimes, of course, it's not pretty vigorous, but it's balanced. If you've got a lot of energy, it can still be balanced. If you don't have much energy, it can still be balanced. If you're a kind of high-speed, buzzy person, you can still find balance. If you're kind of slow and not so strong, you can still find, you find balance by covering the whole thing and letting it find itself. So you cover the whole thing by extending your awareness through the entire sensed body, how the body senses itself. Now we can use the anatomy as a rough map, as my and we notice there are areas that we barely visit at all. Lower back. Well, nothing, nothing interesting goes on there, does it? <laughs> People don't take photographs of your lower back. <laughs> when you do a selfie, you don't take a photograph of your kidneys. But <laughs> so you don't go there. No big deal, really. Faces all gets all the attention. So yeah, faces going to do you much good. Down there. And what about the shoulders? The top of the shoulders get very heavy and tense. So when you feel your shoulders, can you connect your shoulders to your lower back? And remember, you have a chest too. And if you bring all those units into the same picture. They start to balance out. Your shoulders aren't too heavy, your chest isn't compressed, your lower back strengthens up. 
Now, you see, so if you, that's what I mean about finding the balance, and you can extend that. So, lower back connects to the legs, legs connect to the feet, the floor, you get the whole thing, it starts, the energy starts to shift, and things begin to release if we're patient and practice with it. It takes a lot of struggle out. And when the tension and stress and unevenness in the body is released, the mind tends to settle down. So a lot of the sangsaric habits and patterns are terminated just by that alone. The mind is not comfortable, it's going to go out creating fantasies, feeling irritable, feeling miserable, wanting this and wanting that, because it doesn't have a home. Now this, of course, is not uh, a complete liberation, but it's a very useful place to at least find a foothold on withdrawing from the creations of of samsara, from the mental creations, from the conceivable, the imaginable, into the direct, and finding harmony in the direct experience. When this mind settles in that, then we do, can do the further work of really, now the mind is settled, now it is ready, now it is fit. Now, I can, now we can turn attention to chitta and free it from its tendencies, its habits, its uh, confusion. So it doesn't keep running out and creating things. And the sankara quality can be stilled and from the sankata or the constructed reality we come to the asankata, the unconstructed and this is Nibbana. <laughs> so the Buddha is saying through this very body with all its pains and problems and yeah, you can find a pathway through the jungle of the mind, through this very body. Yeah. It's not only come through the visual body, but through the balancing, the energy in the body being balanced and steady. It acts as a comfortable place, a place where the mind finds harmony, a place where samsara settles, and it gives us a direct way of moderating our mental patterns and releasing ourselves from the fascination and the need to keep creating them. So let's uh, do some direct practice for this morning.